Welcome to Iowa Nature Notes, brought to you by Iowa County Conservation and the Friends of Iowa County Conservation from Lake Iowa Nature Center. Uh, we are linked here at the outdoors. My name is Chris. I'm executive director. My name is Gage. I'm the ranger naturalist here. And I'm Nick, uh, seasonal conservation aide. And uh, what did you want to chat about today, Gage? Yeah, so I figured we'd start off this podcast kind of talking a little bit more about uh, this new goal we kind of have in mind with uh, Iowa County Conservation and Lake Iowa Park and some of the other properties that we manage. And that is uh, incorporating perennial food systems into our parks and different properties. So, um, Chris, you know a little bit about this. Obviously, we've been doing some research into this, uh, this perennial food systems and its benefits and the different ways we can implement these perennial food systems. So, as a general sense of terms for people who don't really understand what we're talking about, can you give a quick, brief overview of what is a perennial food system and what might that look like? Sure. Well, per- perennial means something that comes back year after year. You don't have to replant it. Uh, trees are excellent examples of perennials that, uh, like an apple tree, is an excellent example of a perennial food system. It generates food year after year after year once it's reached maturity. And not just food for people, but also wildlife, and not just like the charismatic megafauna like deer, but also for pollinators when there are flowers on. or when the apples fall on the ground, there's a lot of sugar there for, for pollinators, butterflies, bees, wasps, hornets. So that's what a perennial food system is. It's something that generates that food with minimal to no outside inputs year after year after year. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great description of them. And so there's two different kinds of perennial food systems that we're going to touch on today. And the two main ones we're going to focus on are... Uh, food forests, as well as perennial food plots. And so uh, the difference between them, um, the food forests are kind of generated or developed more for a human benefit side of things. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Then also the other thing we're talking about is the perennial food plots. And that is more of a natural resource, um, conservation, wildlife conservation. Uh, management kind of system to implement food sources, uh, year-round food sources for animals, uh, and anything of that nature. So, um, Chris, let's just start off with the the food forest, and let's get right into this thing. So, um, what exactly is a food forest? Um, Let's just start there. All right, sure. So, a food forest is a small human-made garden that mimics uh, mimics a forest ecosystem. Um, <clears throat> there will be multiple layers in the canopy that you're going to, you can um, plant, specific plants in order to get food from, or uh, other, or medicinal benefits, or uh, for uses fertilizer to help the system. So, in, in, Imagine if you had a circle that was like, say, 20 feet in diameter. And in the center of that circle, you planted a tree, uh, like a fruit tree or a nut tree. And then going out from that, 
you plant like uh, smaller trees, like dwarf fruit trees that may can tolerate some shade. Um, moving out from that, you would plant shrubs that tolerate shade, but maybe can tolerate a little bit more sun. And those shrubs might produce fruit or they might produce nuts. Uh, then you move out from that and you have your smaller plants, like your herbaceous plants. Herbaceous just means um, like flowers and herbs. And then you move out from that, you have your soil surface. You can plant uh, ground covers, um, uh, tubers, uh, like things like carrots or potatoes. Um, and then you down in the root layer, you can in, inoculate your uh, mulch with fungi so that they produce fungi which help they produce food for you and then the mycelium helps to ever like helps break down nutrients to fertilize the soil and it helps the plants communicate with each other uh, and then another layer that sometimes gets used as a vertical layer and that might be something that that's vining that would grow up your main canopy yeah so, and the great thing about food forests, and you know, as we do more research into them, um, the awesome thing about food forests is that the whole goal of it is that every layer is producing some sort of benefit for either, you know, human benefit or wildlife. And so, you know, you can even incorporate some herbaceous things that are going to be medicinal for humans or, um, of course, the food for wildlife or humans as well. And so, uh, with food forests, um, where we plan to implement this over here at Lake Iowa Park is we want to try to incorporate this into our campground. And so this would be an additional kind of uh, fun thing uh, for campers to enjoy. Um, also, it would be a great example and try to set an example for our campers of how easy that a system like this uh, can be incorporated into their own private ground or their own private lands. And so, um, you know, we talked about with the canopy layers or the, all the different layers, <clears throat> we want to try to incorporate a few different areas of actual food forests where we have every single one of those layers that Chris just talked about. And then throughout the rest of where there's space available, uh, try to plant any sort of those canopy trees, those large fruit and nut producing trees. And in other areas, you know, work in uh, different, the lower tree layer, whether there's the, the fruit trees or uh, the more shade tolerant trees that are going to produce some sort of food source. Um, so that's, that's basically our food forest. Um, with the food forest, what is kind of like an additional benefit? Or what are some of the benefits from the food forest that, you know, you can see? The benefits that I see with the food forest are... Mm, there are a lot of them. Um, so I, first I want to start about like wh why why the sudden interest and it, for me it hasn't it's not a sudden interest. I've been interested in doing this for a long time. Uh, I just haven't was never in a position to be able to incorporate things like food forests in the past. Um, now with you know we had to remove 119 trees from the campground two years ago because we lost them. They were all ash trees. We lost emerald ash borer. So we have a lot more open space in the campground. And rather than just haphazardly planting the cheapest trees in order to shade the campground, uh, I wanted to incorporate 
trees that were uh, biologically diverse. Because the reason we had to remove 119 ash trees is probably because when uh, uh, we lost all the elm trees to uh, Dutch elm disease, that I would imagine the cheapest tree was ash trees. So they planted a whole bunch of ash trees. And now we've lost all the ash trees. You know, we could go out and buy a bunch of silver maples and plant silver maples and then have a disease come along that's going to wipe out silver maples. And we just get stuck in this cycle. So we want to have diverse ecosystems in our parks and public areas. So that's one of the reasons, to diversify. Two, with, you know, uh, one thing that I saw when COVID first hit was you know, a lot of people getting a sudden interest in planting gardens and providing food for themselves to get more food security. I'm a big fan of self-sufficiency. And so, you know, if people can grow their own food, I think that's great. And this is a way to show people they can grow their own food. There is some initial investment in planting them because trees are not as, you know, inexpensive as garden plants, your typical garden plants, but they produce again and again and again, you know, and quite a bit of food over years. Um, so once you get past your initial investment, there's very little investment that needs to be done. So it can be cost effective. Um, and also think about being a kid and going to a campground and going and finding a tree you're going to climb and have it have peaches in it or have it have or something, you know, as mundane as apples. But still, if you're a kid, you find that you're going to want to eat those apples and it's hard to get kids to eat fruits and vegetables, but if they find them on their own, that's something that you know, adds a little bit of nuance to it so the kid maybe want to do it themselves. So that's a number of the reasons. Um, so it'll help with help feeding campers. Um, it produces wildlife habitat within the campground. And again, not just charismatic megafauna, like the big things that you can easily see, but also the little things, which are arguably more important. Um, so we can help them. And it's just a way to educate people and, and show what is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so we already talked about where we're going to be putting them. So yeah, we talked about the campground. Uh, but a couple other areas we might incorporate these systems is over at our picnic shelters. We have various picnic shelters around Lake Iowa Park um, that we'd be able to incorporate. Um, there's also some plans in the working of a campground going in at Gateway Park in Marengo. And so we also believe that would be a great, uh, great spot to do uh, food forests and things like that. Um, so I think we touched on food forests pretty good. Um, let's go ahead and talk about our other thing we're saying is the perennial food plots. And so... Um, Perennial food plots and the same token as food forests. It's another perennial food system. So there's a lot of overlap in the same benefits and they look similar in many ways. But uh, perennial food plots, like I mentioned before, are more uh, natural resource oriented and to pr uh, produce, promote wildlife, biodiversity and uh, in your, you know, your properties and things. So. Um, another great thing about perennial food plots is that they're going to be adding supplemental nutrition um, to your pre-existing ground. And so um, some of these species that you could be planting is you can do a ground cover of some sort of perennial type of clover. 
and that is going to be beneficial for multiple species of wildlife. That's going to provide a food source year round. Um, on the sides, you can do. Uh, we talk about you know the large nut for large nut producing trees and fruit producing trees. Same with the smaller trees that are more shade tolerant. But then another thing that you can really incorporate into these perennial food systems is you incorporate uh, a lot of different shrub layers. And there's multiple different species of. Uh, or many native species that are going to produce, um, you know, different types of food for animals in nanny berry, hazelnuts, um, you know, you name it, right? And so, uh, printing of food plots, that's kind of what you're going to be looking at is adding to your already pre-existing habitat and then adding in these additional food sources that are going to be producing year-round. You don't, once you plant them, you plant them once. Um, and that's something that we haven't really talked went into too much. We kind of touched on the the benefits of uh, the low energy and like the low uh, cost for starting these things, right? And so we like to talk about uh, we like to compare some of the benefits from like an annual food plot, which is your more traditional food plot or conventional food plot you see, versus what we're trying to get into is these perennial food plots because in our eyes this is more of the premier solution, if you will. So. Uh, with your perennial food plots and these perennial food systems, there really is a minimal startup cost. Um, there's not a lot of expensive equipment that really needs to go into starting these up. Uh, really all you need is, what you're looking at is the cost of the species of the plant itself. And then you're looking at cost of a shovel from Ace Hardware, and then your bare hands and you're willing to work. And so that's the great thing about these food plots, there's no, you know, crazy tilling or these fancy uh, machinery you need to do those kinds of things um, just like I said the shovel your hands and you're willing to work um, and the also great thing about this is once you have these species established so your trees your shrubs your whatever um, there's relatively low maintenance to this which is going to save your time and also save you money and so uh, you know, some common maintenance stuff you're going to be looking at for the first three to five years as your plants are establishing is you're going to be looking at, uh, you know, deer guards or animal guards, like tree guards for your, your trees uh, to protect, protect those in their juvenile stages of growing. Um, then you're going to also be looking at um, maybe, maybe watering them every once in a while if it's a dry year, but the rain will take care of most of that. And Really, other than that, that's all you need to do those three to five years as they're growing. And then once they reach that threshold of where they're big enough to where they're not really going to get bothered by too many animals, then you're pretty well home free. Um, and really, once you get down to it, you have a system that's going to sustain itself for, you know, decades or even centuries. So uh, another great thing about uh, perennial food systems, if you're going to compare them to uh, an annual food plot is that these perennial food systems are going to add a natural and permanent biodiverse ecosystem. So one thing that uh, is kind of hinders some of the annual food plots is you plant them and they're great, you know, they'll grow if you're lucky and you'll have a food source for your animals uh, for that year, but you're going to have to do it all again next year, right? But with these perennial food systems, as I mentioned, once you have them in, 
this is a permanent food source for them that they can rely on each year. So this is going to keep drawing those animals back to your property each year and every year. So that's another benefit you can see to this. Um, another great thing about these systems is you can, if you do it right and you kind of uh, do a little bit of research, you can pick the certain species that uh, produce some fruit at different times of the year, year round. So then in that way, there's not a single time of the year where whatever kind of, uh, whatever your goals for your property is, what kind of wildlife you're wanting, um, there's always going to be a, some sort of food source for them, no matter what season it is. Um, I know one thing that me and Chris talked about quite a bit is, um, for some reason, when people talk about habitat management and these things, it seems to kind of, uh, I don't know, for, for one reason or the other, they don't, they don't really like it. So what was that thing you were talking about, rebranding um, food uh, hab or you know wildlife habitat? Yeah, for whatever reason, I've talked to people through the years of my career where they really want to bring, you know, get more wildlife on their property. And so you talk to them about habitat management and, and habitat improvement, and they just, uh, they see it as a benefit for, and, and this might be an anthropocentric approach, but I, I, they see a benefit for the wildlife, but they don't necessarily see the benefit for them. And so a number of these people will plant a food plot instead because they see it as beneficial for them. A lot of them are hunters, okay? So they see the benefit that they're, they know where the, the game is gonna be. And so by rebranding and putting in habitat to putting in um, perennial food plots, I, I think that name, because words are important, I think that name food plot in there will help people get over that initial hesitancy because they think it won't be beneficial for, for them as a person. And earlier, we were, I was talking about food forests, which are tailored a little bit more to be beneficial for humans, but they have secondary and tertiary benefits for wildlife. Now these perennial food plots are mainly to benefit wildlife, but everything that you've mentioned is edible by people, is either an edible or a medicinal for people. So they have primary benefits for wildlife and then secondary or tertiary benefits for people. So uh, hope, which a regular, like a, uh, what was the term we, came up with uh, uh, conventional conventional yes these conventional food plots don't really have that secondary or tertiary benefit and they don't benefit much more than those charismatic megafauna they you know they the deer and turkeys and pheasants are okay with some corn and soybeans but not much else is so these perennials are beneficial in a number of ways exactly and I wanted to, you said something about, you know, the, them being, we we're talking about planting natives. Um, by planting natives, they are, uh, especially if they're a local ecotype, if they're, if the, the plant that you're planting is, the parent was from that area too, they're already going to be used to your, adapted to 
temperature fluctuations that you experience or you know normal periods of drought and normal amounts of rainfall they're going to do better because they're adapted to your local weather patterns and your local environment and uh, that means that they're going to require less fertilizer less watering after the first year once they're fully established so there's to me there's a ton of benefits yeah um another thing that we haven't quite touched on yet is uh some of the benefits uh if you look at this from almost more of an agricultural standpoint side of things i know this is kind of what got us into the conversation in the first place um by the nature of these systems, these perennial systems, um, they do a lot to enhance uh, soil health and also improve water quality. Um, so with these perennial food systems, these perennial species, uh, their root systems uh, tend to grow a lot deeper and have a lot, be a lot more fibrous than your traditional uh, row crop uh, and your different kinds of annual uh, food plots you'd be doing. And so um, I actually have a quote here from the Iowa DNR. And it says approximately 90% of Iowa's land is now used for agriculture. About two thirds of this land is used for row crop agriculture, corn, soybeans, and remaining is used for grazing. And so when you look at that kind of statistic, um, what comes with that is there's a lot of different pollutions and pollutants that come from uh, conventional farming, uh, tillage. Uh, it's going to cause a lot of soil erosion. Um, and for farmers trying to get, uh, what's, what's that magic number they're looking for per acre for, uh, I can't remember, the 200 bushel a year, 200 bushel a year or something like that per, per acre. Um, with that being kind of the quota everyone's looking for, they're pushing their boundaries to how far on their properties where they're going to be planting these row crops. And so you'll see uh, pictures of, or you'll see it out and about if you're driving around, you'll see, you know, farmers tearing out uh, these kind of riparian areas and uh, places that are suitable for, you know, perennial food plots or for food forests that are going to produce all these benefits. But um, another thing that, this can this can this really could be a alternative to some some of the conventional farming that we see um there's a story that you're talking you're telling me about chris right and there's uh you, you tell me a little bit more about the guy that uh he started with chestnuts so one of the things that we kind of why we got started into all these perennial food systems is we started learning all the benefits from the chestnut and how great they are and a chestnut tree and so, Chris, you were telling me a story about a guy that farms chestnuts, um, just a few acres of land that he had gathered from his grandparents or something. So There's a gentleman in Missouri, and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the actual story so you know I'm not making it up. Um, gentleman from Missouri, he uh, had over a thousand acres of ground that he was growing you know, conventional corn and soybeans on. And he wanted to be able to pass the land on to his kids, but he knew with the variability of, of row crop prices that the, the chances that he was going to be able to pass it on to them and them for them to be able to 
make money at it was, was slim. And so he planted a few acres. It was like three to five acres into chestnuts. And that three to five acres of ground after the first, I think it was five years, uh, was producing revenue that was higher than all the other acres of ground that he was farming. And the only inputs he had on it was watering the first year. And then he has to mow it in the fall right before harvest. He has to mow the grass just so it's easier to get the nuts. And then the investment for his uh, equipment was those little cage balls that on a stick that you roll over. I've seen people using pick up golf balls, but you know, they're intended to pick up like walnuts and things like that. Like 15 bucks at Ace Hardware. And uh, that, it takes him about a day to two days to harvest them. And so, uh, yeah, three to five acres of ground for making more profit than around a thousand acres that's being farmed conventionally with no inputs. Yeah. So, yeah, what we're trying to get at here is that uh, apart from all the ecological benefits that we've been talking about and... Uh, things of that nature. There's also can be some economic benefits from these kinds of systems if you look into it. And 85% of chestnuts sold in the United States are imported. So if you're looking at getting started in agriculture, potentially you should look into uh, uh, agroforestry and silvopasture and silviculture and consider doing that route because the market is far from saturated. Absolutely. So we touched a little bit on soil health, uh, water quality, um, and then also by the nature of these systems, uh, we're going to tell you know we're talking about trees and shrubs, and different things that are act as great uh, carbon sinks, right? And so uh, we can talk almost we can talk about a little bit of climate change mitigation with these systems, and so. Um, you know, we all know by, uh, the benefits of trees and things, um, they will actually sequester CO2 out of the atmosphere and, uh, in turn will help to reduce the greenhouse gas effect that is the main cause of, you know, our climate, or climate change, uh, issues we see. And so, uh, I also have another quote here from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. It's, uh, says the majority of greenhouse gas emissions in Iowa, and this was in the year 2018, were from the agricultural sector, and that was about 30%. So out of all the different other uh, areas in the state of Iowa and different sectors, 30% of uh, all those other parts were in, you know, contributing to climate change were from the agricultural sector. And so to touch on that again is, implementing some of these perennial food systems into an agricultural uh, way is another way that we can you know, help reduce climate change effects, uh, which is also always a good thing. Um, Nick, what did you, do you have anything to add on to any of this? Well, I was going to share a question I had uh, kind of relating to your uh, food forest ideas here at the park. Um, so my question was kind of, what does uh, starting the food forest look like with the trees, like the care in the first few years, and then 
along with the trees, like the herbaceous layers, like the sh different shrub layers too. Yeah. What would that care look like in the first maybe five years? Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. And uh, the nice answer and the nice thing about it is that, as I kind of mentioned before, there's not a lot to it. And there's not a lot. It's, it's fairly simple for someone pretty green to be able to figure it out pretty soon. And so, uh, you know, with the trees and the different layers, uh, you know, you'd start all of them at the same time probably. So you get going your... Uh, your large fruit and nut producing trees, and then you then implement, uh, you know, the lower, the smaller shade trees where you're going to be producing some sort of fruit or nut, um, and then you just go down the list and you just go down the list. Um, the nice thing about it is, as we mentioned before, the equipment is minimal. Literally, your sh literally a shovel in your hands is going to get the job done. Um, I know some of the ways that we're going to be doing it here at Lake Iowa Park is uh, we're going around different air properties that we manage and here in the park itself and we are actually uh, transplanting different species so we can start to get those going in-house almost. And uh, another thing we want to start doing is with the chestnut trees, you know we just talk a lot about chestnuts is we actually have a few at the park here. and. Uh, we actually want to start to try to propagate some of these trees and uh, just so propagate means basically uh, start growing the tree from its seed. And so uh, we have plans to do that and uh, we actually have kind of a unique way of doing this. We uh, I've actually gathered a lot of our information and uh, some of these tactics we're going to try to employ on is uh, from Twisted Tree Farm. There's this guy named Akiva Silver. Uh, maybe we'll put him in the show notes as well if someone wants to research more about that. But uh, when propagating some of these species and plants, we want to talk, uh, we want to develop some of these air pruning beds. And so Akiva Silver from Twisted Tree Farm, he actually does this at his farm in uh, New York somewhere, I believe. And basically what it is, is uh, a big raised garden that's uh, raised off the ground a bit and then at the bottom of this raised garden there is like a hardware cloth mesh almost and then you just fill in the sides with your uh, compost or your soil and then uh, what he does is he plants hundreds of seeds and uh, a relatively small air pruning bed and you'll just plant them maybe two inches apart and in rows of, not even two inches apart, he basically puts them right next to each other and then in rows of about a hand's width. And he can get hundreds of trees started that way in a relatively small area. And the science behind this air pruning bed is as you plant your, uh, your seed or whatever you're trying to grow, and as it starts to germinate and it'll send that uh, taproot down from into the soil, it'll grow down until it reaches that uh, hardware cloth mesh and as it pokes through and then is exposed to air there's the magic of the word it starts to air prune itself and it prunes itself and it basically sends a signal back up the taproot and will tell the plant to shoot off a bunch of fibrous roots which is going to ensure a healthier uh, growing stage for these plants and so uh, there is a lot of ways to go about it and those are a couple of the ways we plan on doing it. So. oh yeah that sounds good um, so we talked a little bit now about, um, you know, our, our perennial food plots, our food forests, uh, their benefits, 
uh, where we're going to plan on implementing them. Um, but I know there's a lot of different species that maybe people would be curious about and that people could uh, try to implement these themselves at home if our listeners are interested. Um, do you want to just, you know, give a quick, maybe uh, general overview of some species that we could be using in either one of these systems? Well, for food forests, what we're looking at are uh, a lot of fruit trees and then a handful of nut trees. Uh, for fruit, looking at apple, pear, peach, plum, pawpaw, persimmon, and cherry. And then for the nut producing trees, we're looking at chestnuts, like American chestnut hybrids, and then um, a, a variety of chestnuts largely from Asia. So chestnuts, hazelnuts, uh, northern pecan, butternut, uh, Carpathian or white walnuts, and heartnuts. And then for perennial food plots, and you'll, you'll probably notice some overlap on some of these, um, we're looking at hazelnut, chokecherry, elderberry, uh, nannyberry, arrowwood, highbush cranberry, red osier dogwood, serviceberry, wild plum, uh, gooseberry, currants, and then for our herbaceous layer there would be uh, Dutch white clover. Perfect. And so uh, for the listeners, again, also, if you're interested in, you know, incorporating some of these, uh, incorporating some of these systems at your own place, uh, some of the places that we plan on use utilizing to actually order some of these species apart from in-house is uh redfern farms and that is uh i believe in uh we'll put that in the show no i can't believe it's in iowa it's yeah yeah, it's in iowa uh that's where we actually planned on ordering a lot of our chestnut trees from and get those started and uh, actually most of our native shrubs and things we plan on ordering from the iowa state nursery and of course, we talked about uh, Twisted Tree Farm, which is where we're going to kind of utilize some of their information about uh, the tactics we're going to go about to actually start to implement these. And uh, so, of course, we'll put all those in the show notes if you guys are interested. Um, you guys have any other ending notes for our for our listeners? Uh, I don't think so. It, um, and just because we picked the species we selected doesn't mean that that is the end all be all and we're really early in this project so if you visit us a few years down the road and ask us about it you know we will adapt and change our opinions as we learn more uh so we're always looking to grow and learn more absolutely and that's that's the best thing about these kinds of systems is that uh like you mentioned the species that we mentioned might not be as suitable for your own property or what your kind of soil type is or your uh, aspect, slope, all these things. Those are all going to play into what kind of species you can plant. So you just have to do some research into that. And depending on that, that might determine, you know, some of the species you might want to go with. But, uh, you know, everyone's property is a little different. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it is kind of an art project that you can work on with your own land as well as uh, implementing all those different benefits we just talked about. And so uh, I know specifically for us, some of our goals that we want to do, and uh, we hope that you guys come out to our properties to start seeing, uh, to see these kinds of systems we're going to incorporate. So 
couple of our goals is we want to try to pr promote more biodiversity in the properties we manage. Uh, we want to provide food sources for wildlife in all various stages of the year. Um, we also want to try to improve our outdoor recreation activities for the public and for whoever comes and visits our parks and our properties. And we also want to start to educate the public over these kinds of systems, show them just how easy it can be to incorporate these uh, at their own places. And then another thing we want to start focusing on is uh, self-sufficiency and things. So with these kinds of systems and uh, the nature of them, is we can start to incorporate different programs that we can talk about at home foraging, we could talk about uh, canning, preserving different foods, you know, with all these different kinds, you know, chestnuts, you can make flour out of them, you can then do recipes with that. And so that's also another goal of ours is to kind of incorporate those kinds of things for you guys. So um, until next time, we thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll catch you then. See you later.